The auto industry is all about product, new product. And today we're going to talk about the most important new trucks that are up for the North American Truck of the Year Award. Joining me today are Chris Pockert from Autoblog and Larry Webster from Popular Mechanics. They, like me, are members of the jury for the North American Truck of the Year Award. It's the only automotive award that is not tied into any kind of advertising. We call it like we see it. We're a jury of nearly 50 journalists from throughout the United States and Canada who work for magazines and newspapers, television and radio stations, newsletters and websites. We report on cars for all different kinds of audiences, enthusiasts, commuters and families. In other words, we consider all kinds of buyers. Even though the jury has already voted, we do not know who won. We'll learn that at the press conference that kicks off the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. So stick around, because today on AutoLine, we're talking about the best new trucks that are in the market right now. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion here in the studio all about what is going to be the truck of the year, the North American truck of the year. And joining me are Larry Webster from Popular Mechanics and Chris Pockert from Autoblog. Great having the both of you Thanks here. Thanks for having us. Okay, we know what the finalist list includes, which is the Dodge Durango, the Ford Explorer, and the Jeep Grand Cherokee for North American Truck of the Year. Larry, let me start with you, uh, and let's start with the Dodge Durango. What do you make of this vehicle? Well, it's a terrific car. I mean, it's totally different than what it replaces. It's very refined, it's comfortable, it's practical, it's roomy. I mean, they've done a fantastic job with it. But you know, what I think is interesting about these uh, finalists is that if you think about what started the Sport Utes, you could argue the Cherokee and the Explorer, right? And here we have vastly improved versions, and they're fantastic. Chris, what do you make of uh, the Durango? Well, I, I agree with Larry. I mean, I think it's a fantastic product. It's really interesting to see how automakers have adapted um, the, the, the attributes that everybody thought they wanted in a sport utility um, to the things that they actually use. So we've gone from a body on frame to uh, unibody architecture, which gives you a better ride, better fuel economy. Um, and that's driving the improvements that we're seeing, the refinement. Um, it's just a really nice package. The interior blew me away. Uh, I really wasn't uh, expecting to enjoy the vehicle as much as I did. Um, and it drives very nicely. You said there's differences in the vehicle. Chris enumerated, you know, they've gone from body on frame to unit body. Yeah. What other differences do you see in the vehicle? Well, there's a polish to the way it drives. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very smooth in how it goes about its business. It absorbs bumps very transparently. The powertrains just make a nice little home. They're not obtrusive. Um, and the fit and finish of the materials are just fantastic, you know, so you kind of add all that up and it becomes a very cohesive package, especially, I, I look at those things, a three-row SUV as, a, as an alternative to a minivan. And I could see that being a, a very viable one because it's, it's so far removed from a truck. It really is, um, you know, I don't want to say station wagon, but it kind of is, you know. More than an SUV. Yeah, it feels that way to me. I mean, I think the way that, that uh, Chrysler's done it's very uh, wise, you know, they have the Grand Cherokee, right? That's the very off-road one if you want to go take the Rubicon, but you know, still have a very comfortable day-to-day -day car, they've got it. But if you need something more family-oriented, they've got that too, and that's the Durango. And you know, there's a lot of similarities between them, and of course, they're, they've done a good job. 
Chris, this program for the Durango started back when Chrysler was still part of Daimler Chrysler, and I understand the underpinnings of the Durango are really from Mercedes-Benz. That's right. Um, they're shared with the M-Class, and uh, it's, you know, really, um, I think that contributes to the ride. In fact, it's the, I should clarify, it's the next generation M-Class that we haven't even seen. So if you're looking for an inexpensive uh, premium German SUV or crossover, that's one way to go. Um, it's... The, the other thing that I think is interesting, Larry, that you brought up um, as a comparison to a minivan, um, really minivans have gotten quite expensive. I was in a, you know, a Honda Odyssey recently, yeah. and it was forty-five grand, and that's about the same price of the Citadel uh, top flight version of um, you know, the Durango with the V8 that I was recently in, and I think you know, I would take the Durango every day. I was surprised when I drove the Durango because you know, uh, Dodge had all their... Uh, their vehicles out there, and I, I went to drive it, and I thought, here I get into this big honking SUV, oh, yeah. and it was knocked out no, by the way it drove. And the thing that I liked about it was the calibration of the powertrain. So many cars these days, the automakers are trying to eke out that last tenth of a mile per gallon, sure. and I'm all for that. But they try to leave the lockup converter locked mm -hmm. up as long as possible. They try to keep it in as high a gear for as long as possible. So if you want to get out and move, you really got to mash your foot into yeah. it. And it, I just don't find that as pleasing a way to drive. On the Durango, however, which I drove with uh, the Hemi engine in it, this thing just gets up and goes. I yeah, mean, it was does. such a pleasure to drive. It was, uh, it, it blew me away because my expectations for it were so low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, as you know, that engine has that cylinder deactivation, which gets you a little bit. But, I mean, those little subtle tweaks, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, uh, cars are getting so good these days that we're noticing these very fine details. And something like that, you're, you're thinking, boy, I really wish it downshift a little bit quicker. You know, and that's like a minor fine de detail, but it's really what's separating the good cars from the great ones, is who's really sweated over those drivability calibrations. And I, I agree that the Durango certainly has it. Ralph Gilles, who runs Dodge, too, tells me that they're going to come out with a uh, a low-volume, higher-performance version of the Durango that he tells me will absolutely take on a BMW X5 anywhere that you want to take it. So I, I, I find it very interesting that, you know, not only are they using Mercedes-Benz underpinnings for this vehicle mm -hmm. from a dynamic and driving standpoint, albeit with a, a low-volume model, they're, they're actually aiming for BMW as well. Well, I think that's great. I mean, we've seen what they can do uh, with unlikely performance vehicles. The Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT8, the previous generation, was a really incredible performance bargain. Uh, and this chassis and it being lower to the ground and all that should be that much more set up to do, you know, to, to cut corners, or pardon me, to go around the corners. And hmm. um, it just should be, it should be pretty spectacular. Well, you know what I think is interesting about uh, Dodge and Chrysler? You know, you know, for a while they've been able to make large cars drive smaller than they are. I mean, you look at the Chrysler 300, a very large car, you know, and uh, you could argue it has some Mercedes underpinnings as well, but I think it's the domestic engineers that really, um, you know, they impart this, this uh, maybe agility, you know, the, the way that they calibrate the suspension to the steering feel, the cars just drive smaller than they actually are. And they I don't think feel like some big lumbering feel, I mean, vehicle. Yeah, even their pickups don't necessarily feel big and large, and I think they've continued that with this Durango, which is probably what, what you're feeling, why it doesn't you know, you don't feel like you're hauling around this thing that can carry seven or eight people. You know, you're sort of like, yeah, I'm just driving a car, and that's great. Well, let's go to one of the other vehicles that have made the short list, and we should emphasize to the audience, we drive every new truck and crossover that's out there. 
we vote on a short list, i.e. we take this big long list of all the new trucks and we cut it down to a short list, then we vote on the three finalists, then we choose the winner of them. But the next truck on the short list is the Ford Explorer. And Chris, let me start with you. Uh, what do you make of this vehicle? Sure. Well, that's an, another vehicle that's made the transition from body on frame to a unibody. Uh, and it's what's most impressive to me is that they haven't really given up on the brand Explorer. I mean, they've, that, that brand has carried a lot of water for them over the years. Um, but in recent, and a lot of criticism. I mean, right. well, that's if you go thing. back a decade ago with the Firestone tires blowing out and these things going upside down and people getting killed, uh, this is really sort of the renaissance of the Explorer. Absolutely, and that's why I think that's impressive that they've stuck with the brand name. I mean, it costs a tremendous amount of money to seed a new brand name. Sure. Um, but this is really a very capable vehicle, um, and it's interesting. I think um, one of the things that they're, they've done differently uh, than Dodge is they, they seem to be emphasizing fuel economy uh, as a big you know, play for what they're doing. The, the stock 3.5 gets 25 miles to the gallon on the freeway, and that's an incredible figure for a big three-row crossover. 25 miles per gallon for a big SUV, that's a pretty yeah. good number. Yeah, and I mean, I think the, you know, the Dodge gets around 20, uh, and it has um, you know, more sophisticated transmission. Um, so I, I think that's an interesting area, and down the road, a little later this year, they're going to come out with the 2.0T. Uh, there's no V8 on offer for this car. Um, Which is a big change for Explorer, not absolutely. to have a V8 in it. Right, and they've taken a little bit of a hit uh, in terms of towing capacity. They're down to 5,000, but that still will, 5,000 pounds will get you a good-sized boat, uh, you know, any personal watercraft or whatever you want. So I think, again, they're really looking at what consumers actually use their vehicles for as sure. opposed to what they think they want. What do you make of the Explorer? Well, what I like what Ford has been doing lately is, um, you, know, you know, and the thing that, that really strikes me about the Explorer, it just looks terrific. You know what I mean? I really think they hit the styling just right. You know, it doesn't, they've already got the flex, so they have something sort of very distinctive, maybe a little polarizing, so it's not selling so well. And they've made it um, a little more mainstream, but not bland. And I think that's a real trick. And they've carried that into the interior, which is a very rich, nice place to be. And so, you, you know, just before you even get in the car and feel what its dynamics are like, you sort of want to, you kind of want to be around it and you want to be in it. And um, I think that's going to be really um, a big hit with buyers. And then I should probably discuss, um, you know, the sync system, which, you know, as it turns out, you know, the Durango has uh, Uconnect, which is, is almost every bit as capable. You know, the differences between them, what they can do is actually pretty small. And what you're talking about, of course, is it's a telematic system. Syncing up your iPad sure. or I iPhone, I should say, or smartphone and uh, music and what all. Well, yeah, these systems do so much. Like, we need four shows to just talk about everything they do. <laughs> but, you know, they take your phone and they, then they connect your phone. They do navigation, all your music players. You know, they do 911 assist, all kinds of things. But, you know, Ford's gone one step farther. And it's, it's on the top level Explorer, but this My Ford system, I think they call it My Ford Touch, you know, it, it, it combines a very rich, uh, graphically interesting screen in the center stack with two little screens on either side of the, the, the speedometer. And it just, it looks for terrific. And functionally it works. And it has this voice commands that are very easy to use. So you sort of add all that up to an everyday vehicle and it's, it's going to be hard to beat. I think the voice command is a big point. They've really improved that with the number of commands that you can take and sort of the intuitiveness. You sure. Uh, instead of, you know, you having to point out multiple steps in order to get where you want, you just say, you know, play Led Zeppelin, and it plays Led awesome. Zeppelin. And that's, that's really fantastic because there are so many new functions coming into the vehicle and so many things that are vying for driver's attention that Ford has, I think, done a very good job with my Ford Touch. It does take some getting used to, but having, you gotta learn it. Yeah. But having yeah. that information right there in the cluster uh, is, is very helpful. And then the voice command 
commands, you know, that increased ability just makes it, I think, that much easier to use everything. I yeah. agree with both of you on this. I mean, Ford is really been three years out in front of the sure. entire auto industry. You know, normally you expect the Japanese to come up with the latest electronic That's stuff. Amazing. They're nowhere to be seen in mm -hmm. this kind of uh, right. environment. And I do like the, the My Ford Touch, especially the buttons that they've yep. designed on it because it's so intuitive. Once you learn it, boom, and you yep. learn it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to use. But how would you contrast that to the Uconnect system that is in the Durango. Well, like I said, functionally, they're, they're actually pretty close. And, you know, uh, Chrysler has shortened their voice command menu structure as well. So there's a, there's a button on the steering wheel, and you just press it, and you say, call mom, and it calls mom. <laughs> and, you know, it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, I think it just, um, you know, there's a high-tech aspect to these features, right? And it, there's a coolness to it. You know, I think, what did Ford say, 80% of buyers get sync in their Fords. So um, people are buying cars because of it. And the Uconnect, um, basically, its screen is just a little dull. It looks like maybe a, one of those aftermarket navigation systems you bought three years ago. And Ford's really up the game. They have basically little iPod or iPad, no, iPods, I'm sorry, iPod <laughs> screens in the car. And so it's just a much richer experience. You know, it shows you little things. I mean, album art cover. Um, you can tag songs you hear on the radio, and it'll remind you later, oh, you like this song. You know, so there's a lot of these really nifty features that you kind of go, yeah, this was an expensive car, but, oh, boy, it does a lot of cool stuff. You know, and, you know, as we, as a society, are more into gadgets, like, you know, iPads, you know, all the little MP3 players, phones, I think that's going to be just, you know, it's going to be even more important as we go forward. Let's go back to the styling, because I don't exactly agree with Larry no. on the styling of the vehicle. Mm. I find it kind of chunky and thick in sections. I wonder what you think about the Explorer. You know, I think it's quite good looking. Um, I, I do think that because of the platform that they're using, um, you know, the Volvo-derived platform has given them certain fixed points that they can't get away from. The hard points with the high cowl um, have meant that the sides have sort of, you know, slab yeah. side and all that. But they've done some good, you know, surfacing uh, on the sides there with the indentations to sort of give it a musculature. Um, and the, the indent in the hood. So I think it's actually fairly attractive. It, it seems to me to be a nice middle ground between what we would traditionally think of as an SUV and a crossover. It's not sort of effeminate looking and it's not in your face in the same way that maybe the Dodge is. And you mentioned the two liter turbo EcoBoost that's coming in the Explorer. Have you had a chance to drive it? What do you make of this engine? I mean, a two liter four in an SUV like the Explorer just doesn't sound like it would be that good. Yeah, it is, it is pretty shocking. Um, we haven't had the chance to drive it yet, or at least I haven't. Um, the horsepower, I think the figure is down about 30 uh, on the V6, but the torque is right there uh, and it comes in earlier because of the turbo. It's a really flat curve and I, I suspect it'll probably get around pretty well. Um, you know, compared to the V8 that's available in the Durango, I mean, there's definitely going to be a deficiency there, and it'll be interesting to see if Ford decides to throw the 3-liter EcoBoost in, in the Explorer in order to compete. Um, but, you know, the, the fuel economy already on the V6 is very impressive. Again, we talked about 25 miles per gallon. You know, maybe 27, 28, and that's... 30. 30, amazing. I believe they're doing everything Oh, uh, yeah, I think they are. Imagine coming out and saying, this big SUV, the Ford Explorer, gets 30 miles to the gallon on the highway. I, I think Ford's going to pull out all the stops to hit that. I think that's going to be tough to get because uh, we've done some comparisons between, you know, their EcoBoost six-cylinders and V8-powered cars, and it's good for about, I mean, we found about 10, 11 percent. And, you know, you also combine, you know, they have uh, taller final drive, six-speed transmission, so it's very hard to parse out. I mean, obviously, this is downsized engines. I think what it's going to come down to is it seems to me it's going to be how they calibrate it. 
right? It'll, it'll have enough ultimate horsepower to get the thing moving, right? You don't need your sport ute to go zero to 60 in seven seconds. You know, eight and a half is perfectly fine. But I don't think people want to use their whole engine. I, I think very few people floor it. And even if it's there, you know, they think, oh, I got to floor it just to get on the highway. To them, that's, that's wrong. So it, it depends how they calibrate the throttle, right? You know, and you have electronic throttle, so if maybe you give it half throttle and it opens up the butterfly almost 90% or something of that nature. So I'm kind of interested to see how they make the whole thing work because the turbo engine makes some sense, if you ask me. I've driven the, the two-liter turbo, not in the Explorer, but in the Ford Edge, yeah. and I was knocked out how well it, it performed. And I've driven other turbo engines, as you guys have too, but it's the combination of direct fuel injection with a combined variable valve timing on both the intake and the exhaust, plus the turbo, plus the software that manages that all with the transmission, mm -hmm. that makes it a dynamite package. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're going to charge more for that, that little engine. But I gotta believe they still. I, I still think they're they're shooting for 30 miles to the gallon on. I think thing. if if they get to 30, they might have a shot at selling quite a few of them. But that that cost question, uh, we're basically asking consumers to pay more for less to power money. to save money on the back end, and that's not something we Americans tend to do very well. Well, they do it with hybrids. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just right. saying it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Who knows what's going to happen? But it's also a different buyer. You know, okay, I mean, th third vehicle on our list is the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Larry, oh, what do you make man. of this one? That is America's uh, Land Rover, if you ask me. I mean, it's very luxurious. I mean, I don't know if you've seen them. You can get the wood rim steering wheel, leather inside, lots of high-grade materials. And it has the same polish as the Durango. It goes down the road beautifully. It's very quiet. Um, I think the basic overall package, it's two-row, but it's very tidy and it's still roomy. You've got plenty of room behind that second-row seat, all these good options, and a plus, you know, adjustable air suspension, so the thing will go up 11 inches off the ground. It'll take on any trail you want. I mean, you need one vehicle to do it all. I can't think of a better one. Chris, what do you make of it? Uh, you know, I think you're spot on. Um, I think it really gave me hope as a journalist, personally, to see um, the Grand Cherokee and drive it for the first time because we were all worried about you know what's going to become of Chrysler with all the turmoil that they've had and um, it, it really showed that there there is promise with products that are already in the pipeline that we're starting to see pan out right now I mean the, the Durango is an excellent um, you know addition to this lineup but the, it started with the Grand Cherokee and it started with a quality interior and I think the right package size I mean um, there, there is plenty of utility in that. A lot of people don't really use the third row when they think they're going to. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, you know, got a, a, a very good ride for something that is so capable off-road. Yeah. And then also, too, you know, it, you can get the V8 optional, but really you don't need it. I mean, as a 290-horsepower V6, now it's their new, they call it the Pentasar V6. And, you know, I've driven them both, and there's times I'm in the V6 going, wait, is that the V8? And then I'll look and be like, no, it's a V6. You know, so it, it's really like as a good overall, you know, you know, we know how these things are used, right? They're used around suburbans or doing errands like that. I mean, there's just easy use to that vehicle that I think is really exemplary. I really love the styling on it. In fact, I think of the three stylists, uh, finalists, the Durango, the Explorer, the Grand Cherokee. The Grand Cherokee, hands down, mm -hmm. to my eye, is the best looking of the three of them. And what I also find interesting is, as you guys know, you know, Chrysler ran into all problems when Daimler, you know, broke it off. Yeah. Then Cerberus took it over, and all they did was chop, 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 yeah, chop, yeah. chop. Mm -hmm. And so this is a vehicle that probably should have been out a year ago. Yeah. And I think we would have been even more impressed had it come out then. But nonetheless, yeah. it's uh, 
to what you were saying, Chris, it, it's real good to see that, you know, given the resources and a little bit of time, Chrysler can absolutely turn out world-class products. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, where we were talking about Chrysler six months ago to where we're talking about them today. Uh, I mean, we've got two out of the three finalists uh, for Truck of the Year. Uh, that, that says it all to me. The other thing that's interesting, of course, is the Durango and the Grand Cherokee are built in the same plant, go yeah. down the same line. You'd never know it looking at the two, though. They are, are that different, both inside and out. And I think what's got to be encouraging for the Durango as well as uh, the Grand Cherokee is Grand Cherokee blew out of the gates. I mean, this as soon as it hit the market, I think sales went over 10000 a month, which is a really good number yeah. in today's market. Sure. If Durango can come anywhere near that, that plant, the Jefferson North plant in yeah. Detroit that makes them, these guys are going to be doing real well. There's job security for the people in those mm -hmm. plant, in that plant. Well, I mean, it deserves to do well. I think, uh, you know, the trick is, and well, maybe it hasn't been that much of a trick, is just getting people to go drive it. You know, because people ask about it, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, just, just get in one, and you'll see what I'm talking about. You know, there's this, this level of... Um, Polish. I know I keep saying that, but that's the best word for it, that you drive it. And, um, you know, it's really like it's world class. I mean, it's not like it's it's a hometown favorite. I mean, you, you stack it up against any similar sized ute from anywhere in the world. And I think it's one of the best. Well, and, and here uh, to that point about Polish, um, we're talking about uh, or pardon me, Luca is talking about having a Maserati based on that vehicle. I mean, think about a Maserati SUV, first of all, yeah. how foreign of a concept that is, but that they would choose to, you know, plant it on something as prosaic as a Grand Cherokee says a lot about the ability of the chassis. Well, you know what I like? Um, uh, one of the things I really like about it, I always think back to some of the, the Dodge and Chrysler cars that were really terrific handling cars that you didn't expect to be good handling cars. Remember the first Neon? Yeah. Actually, pretty good car. How about that Concorde? Front drive, huge that thing drove pretty well. You know, then they had the, uh, the first 300 or, you know, the reborn 300. And, you know, so there's, there's certainly a history of there of making good driving cars. And it seems like they finally resurrected that again. You know, they know they could do it. They've done well, it. What I would argue is that under Daimler and under Cerberus, they were under orders, just cut costs, cut yeah. costs, cut costs. So they did everything on the cheap. Yeah. And they did a, you know, a good enough job for doing it on the cheap, but you know, you can see it in their interiors right now. They are spending more money oh, on yeah. the interior. They're not trying to do it on the cheap anymore. Well, I mean, you look, you know, what we talked about with the Explorer, one of the things you really like about it, and that and the Flex for that matter is, you know, the interiors. And I think you could argue Audi showed us the importance of interior when they redid that, when the first A4 came out in what, like 94? Do you remember that interior? I mean, everybody was like, just about fell over and then it was, you know, they realized, well, those are the touch points. The customers are in the car and they're experiencing the interior all the time. So it makes sense to make it nice. I mean, I don't know how Cerberus and Daimler, why they decided that was a good place to cut, but clearly it wasn't. It was not a good place to cut. Okay, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot right now. Chris, let me start with you. Of the three finalists, Dodge Durango, Ford Explorer, Jeep Grand Cherokee, which one is going to win the truck of the year? I think it's going to be the Ford. I, I'm, I think it's, you know, the right package. Uh, it's a nameplate that people are familiar with. Um, and Ford has a lot of momentum right now in the marketplace. And I think among the journalists, too, you know, we see a lot of the, the great things that they're doing uh, in terms of technology with Sync and with My Ford Touch. Uh, that they've really brought all of that to the forefront. The fuel economy on this vehicle is excellent, and it's an attractive package. Larry? You know, um, he might be right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Explorer is very interesting. You know, one thing we didn't talk about, it has this, you know, 
one advantage of being car based, it has this, this almost, you know, the kind of well for the, where the rear, your rear passenger feet go. And so it has a very roomy package, I think, even compared to the Durango, which is pretty nice. But uh, I think the Grand Cherokee is going to take it. I think uh, that's just an appealing all-around car. And um, I think in terms of that segment, there's probably not a better example of, you know, an off-road worthy SUV anywhere in the world. And okay. I think that's going to do it. I'm going with my favorite. I'm saying the Dodge Durango is <laughs> going to win it. Hey, real quick, because we've got the finalists for the car of the year, too. The Chevrolet Volt, the Hyundai Sonata, and the Nissan Leaf. Chris, which one's going to win it? I think it's got to be the Volt. Uh, it's a watershed piece of technology, the way they've integrated electric drive uh, and, you know, getting um, the batteries charged from the onboard internal combustion engine. Um, it's, it's an amazing technological achievement. Uh, you know, we can quibble about whether it's a, you know, a pure electric or whether it's a hybrid or, or whatever, but the, the reality is that it works, um, and they brought it to market on time. Um, they delivered it pretty much the way they said they would. It, you know, there's, there's still a few rough edges here and there, but it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Okay, quick, we're down to the end, Larry. Which one's going to win it? Uh, I think there's a little bit of volt fatigue amongst the journalist community myself, and uh, I actually think it's going to be the Hyundai because um, in terms of um, a, a, not a groundbreaking car but an important car because it, it's a lineup that has everything, hybrid, turbo, four-cylinder, and, you know, for them to come into a very competitive segment and come on so strong with such a great car, I think it's very important. Real good. Okay, I'm picking the leaf. But anyway, <laughs> Larry Webster, Chris Pocker, thanks so much. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you for watching, but I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion, and I hope you'll join us again next week when we'll do the same thing all over again, only then... We'll talk about the top cars that came out this year and which ones made it to the finalist list for the North American Car of the Year. For that show, I'll have Marty Paget from High Gear Media and Eddie Alterman, the editor of Car and Driver magazine. They are two more of the 50 different jurors who choose the award. By the way, you can get more information about the auto industry at our website. We have information there from literally all around the world. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching. We'll see you right here, this time, next week.